So we're going to talk about probably the one of the stranger places that I have, have discovered, and it's in our identity. That if we discover God in the midst of who we deem ourselves to be, that it's in that moment that we discover a God who is not only integral in our lives, but we begin to live a life like he intended us to live. And so, like, I, I was thinking about, about identity and, and, and kind of who I was and, and transitioning from a young guy to an adult to what Daniel would call an old man. And there's an enormous amount of roles that I've played in my life. You know, if, if, I was, if you knew me in, in high school, you would have known a, a guy that did nothing but play sports. I played one sport after another sport after another sport from the time I was nine all the way through my, my, my high school. And what I learned in sports is that you act a certain way, right? You hang with certain people, you act a certain way. And then as a junior in high school, I accepted Christ in a four-square church down south, and then I began to discover an entire new way of living and acting. And so when I went to church, I discovered like, hey, you can't act like you act on a football field because people will look at you and say, you shouldn't talk that way, David. Look at my bad. And so I would go and I would, I would run track or I'd play ball or play football and then I would go and, and, and be inundated in this other culture where I was supposed to sit and act nice and be quiet and raise my hands at certain right times. Look, okay, I can do that. Those are two things I can do. And then I was called into the ministry. Then I went to Life Life Bible College in Los Angeles. And let me tell you, you have to act a certain way in a Bible college. And they don't tell you that when when you apply. They just go, okay, come and learn how to be a pastor and and so I was an athlete who started going to church at, at an older age, at 17, who found myself at 19 in a Bible college going, I don't even know where Psalms 23 is. And I began to understand how I was supposed to act that way. I was like, man, okay, I can give up. I'm done with sports outside of just playing some fun games, so I'll leave that alone, and now I'll just be the church guy and... The Bible student guy, but then I joined the labor's union in L.A., and for the next five years, I was on the smart end of a shovel. You guys know what end that is? Smart end of the shovel is where you want to be if you have to handle the shovel. And so for five years, I was on construction sites with other laborers in the morning, and then I would drive to downtown L.A., and go back to Bible cause, and you can imagine, you're expected to act a certain way on a construction site. And if you take that act into Bible college, you get to meet the dean of students, <laughs> hypothetically. So I was a, a laborer, union guy, hard hat wearing, messed with asphalt and did underground utilities, and then I would learn Hebrew and Greek, and not really, but they told me I was. And then I was a youth pastor, but a youth pastor at that point in time, you could just be what you were. I'd just do crazy things and kids liked me sort of. And so that wasn't that tough. But then I took my first pastorate in Loveland. I didn't know this, 
But churches expect their pastors to act a certain way. Thank God you guys don't. <laughs> Except Jan. <laughs> Prays for me all the time. And then on top of that, I forgot, somewhere in the midst of that, I got married and had a kid. So I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a laborer, I'm a pastor. And even when I was pastoring, I was a framer. And a framing crew is different than a laboring crew. Just experience. And, and, and pretty soon, I'm like, who am I? Am I the pastor? For those 25 minutes on a Sunday? Am I the framer? Who calls walls all sorts of different words? Am I the ex-athlete? And in, in the midst of all these things, I, I thought, I, I began to feel like this guy. See if this works. Depending on the environment that I rubbed up to, I took that shape or that color. So if in the morning at 6 o'clock I had to go and, and, and put on a set of bags and frame, I was that framer. Until I, until I got in my car and drove to the church and studied for Sunday or led a Bible study and then I was a pastor. And then I got home and then I was a dad and a husband and I was all these things. And so if you ask me back when I was in my 30s, like, what are you? I was like, I'm a bunch of stuff. None of which is really that good. But depending on where I was, I was successful. And as we talk about strange things and as we talk about all this stuff, and then looking back on my life, and then looking at some of you, I understand that too many times our identity is tied to our environment. And so where we're at, on Friday we can party and not feel bad because, well, that's Friday and that's not Sunday. And on Monday, we can be the professional, but on Tuesday night, we can go to the karaoke bar. On Wednesday, we can go back and lead a group or, or, or go to a small group, but on Friday, we can hit the bars again because it's not Sunday. And so we go from one environment to the next, and we take the form of that environment. But what happens when we allow our identity to be tied to our environment, whether it is professional, whether it is is work-related or, or hobby-related or interpersonal or relational. When we tie our identity to our environment, we limit God. Not only is it an ability to interject in our lives, but we limit ourselves in our ability to experience the life God has for us. And that is where it gets tough. Are you guys tracking with me? That makes sense? Anybody been there? Ah, thank you. You always make me feel good because every once in a while when I'm doing it, it's like, these guys don't fight this. These guys are all perfect. Most of you. You have your Bibles, turn with me to uh, John chapter 3. 
Nicodemus. Anybody remember Nicodemus? Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Nicodemus would have been one of the guys whose identity was tied to his ability not only to keep the law, but to enforce the law's standards on the rest of society. Nicodemus was God's policeman in Old Testament Jewish tradition. His responsibility was to interject the law, the Pentateuch, and all the prophets and all their interpretation to society as a whole. And he gained his value on his ability not only as a Pharisee to keep the law, but to then police everybody else around him. And it says one time there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, and this man came to Jesus by night. When you're unclear who you are, when you forget what role you're supposed to play, you normally hide. No matter what environment you find yourself in, if you can't define who you are and you're not comfortable in your own skin and you have yet to determine who God intended you to be, when you start exploring, you usually go there at night. Or it's because, man, if the guys in the ditch knew that I was in Bible college in four plus hours, and half of them did, but most of them didn't. They just knew me as a guy on a shovel that would run a jackhammer. But if they knew that from 3.30 to 5, I would go and study and get ready and step into this entirely different world where I had to learn the Bible, they're like, Dave, what? I know. Dave, wait, you're telling me that you are going to be a pastor? I know. It kind of freaks me out too. When you don't know who you are, when you're not comfortable in who God made you to be, you're always hiding. It says, and So, gee, this man came to him by Jesus at night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God. Sorry, I lost my place. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, truly I say to you, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? And can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and a spirit, he can't enter the kingdom of God. And regardless of what Nicodemus's idea was in seeing Jesus, Jesus got to the heart of the matter. He said that, that Jesus told him that, that Nicodemus, everything that you are and everything that you hold dear, the law that you have, what you need, what you need is a new birth. And basically what Jesus said is that he needed, this, this, this religious leader needed to have his identity reset by God. He needed to be defined by his Savior, his Creator, the one that had called him by name. Nicodemus goes to Jesus at night, and yet Jesus peels back all the stuff and says, hey, you you, you need this new life that I offer. And in having a new life, it changes priorities and changes perception, and it becomes the point where we become new people on the inside, that we start again. That upon profession of faith as as in Jesus as Savior, when we start looking at this book and we start living by this 
Our identity is no longer tied to what we do, is no longer tied to the, the cultures that we inhabit and the society and the, the companies that we keep. Our identity is tied specifically and only to Jesus. And it is only in that identity that we begin to understand the life that he intended us to live and intended us to experience. It says, so in this new, new life, it says, Paul writes in Ephesians, as blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in every with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. When we receive our new identity, it is rooted in the very fact that we are in Christ, in him. And what that means is that our lives are not defined by the fact that I can run a shovel or turn on a table saw, or tackle a guy, or party, or hook up, or have relationships, or preach, or be a pastor. Our identity is tied to him. And so when we look at ourselves, we no longer are, are limited by our successes or our failures. Why? Because Jesus is in us and we in him. And when the Father looks at us, he doesn't see us of all this stuff. He sees his son. He sees his son. As believers, you are not what others see you as. You are not what others tell you are. You are not what society demands of you. You are not what work speaks of you. You are not what your boss tells you you do or don't do. You're not even what your husband or your wife tells you what you do or don't do. You are not what your mom or dad says it. You are not what your family is. You are solely defined by Christ. And so when the father looks at you, it's like, I just see a dude wearing a shovel. I see Jesus. I see Jesus. And when you grasp that, That changes things. I am in him. You are in him. As much as I love these guys, and as much as Zan and I were talking on the, on the front row going, how blessed we are to have so much talent. They are not defined by their talent. They're defined by their relationship with their Savior and what makes them beautiful and what makes them attractive and what makes them captivating is not the talent. It is Christ. It is Christ. And so when they do great, they point to their Savior. And when they mess up, they point to their Savior. And when their pastor pats them on their back, they point to their Savior. And when they screw up, they point to their Savior. Because they are not defined, nor will they ever be limited by what they can or can't do. Because to do that is to handcuff God himself into the life of you guys. Like, what does God want for us? What does God want for you and I? Well, he wants us to be 
healthy and he wants us to be happy and he wants us to be all these things, but, but really what he wants and what he sees is his son. The father, creator of the universe, sees his son. And so we are chosen and protected And we are pleasing and we are loved by him. And we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. And as his kids, we are brought out of fear and worry and turmoil and questions. And we are rooted in the consistency of a savior so that we not only are in him, we share position with him. And so we find great freedom in that. Paul writes to the Ephesians, he says, you were dead in your trespasses and sin of which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all live, once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. It's a happy section of scripture. You were dead in trespasses and sins. It's like old school brimstone and fire kind of stuff. To understand where God has taken you, you have to grasp where you have been. To understand the depth and the richness of God's grace. Don't ever forget your past. And by forgetting it, I don't mean letting it own you, but to be able to reflect back on it so that you can point others to God's goodness. Like, man, now you don't know how far I've come. I was going to bring all these hats that I used to wear. I was going to bring a baseball hat. And I was going to bring a cycling helmet, and I was going to bring a hard hat, and I was going to bring boots, and I, and, I, and I realized I had all this stuff that defined me, and you realize how, how utterly overwhelming that is until I realized that Jesus saved the likes of me, and because he saved the likes of me, y'all can have hope in that, because if he allowed me this position? Sky's the limit for the rest of you. And I say that with great confidence and great assurance of the goodness of things that has, God has in store for you and the dreams that he wants you to accomplish. Not so that you can point and go, look at me, but that you can refer back to the time that you were dead, that now you have been equipped to do good works because he sees his son. You see, we stop there. You were dead. And we define ourselves by that. But I love this next section of scripture. And if there were two words that define my life, it's those first two words. But God. Man, I was broken. But God healed me. I had no hope for a future, but God gave me a, not only a future, 
but a hope. I was consumed by worry. But God granted me peace. And some of you this morning go back to here and you said, I was dead and am dead in my trespasses and sins. And what I would say to you this morning is sit in the chair, hold on to those first two words, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he has loved us even when we were dead made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming age he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. The craziest place you will ever find God is in your own life. The craziest place. Crazier than in a belly of a whale, crazier than in a cave, crazier than in a whisper, is to grasp the fact that eternal God, because of his sacrifice of Jesus, enters into right relationship with you upon your profession of faith so that you can stand and you can see God. That means you can turn to your neighbor who you know is a believer and catch a glimpse of your Savior. Do I know how that works? Nah, don't. But I do know that you and I no longer have to worry about being accepted because he's already accepted you. That you no longer have to worry about being loved because he's already loved you. That you no longer have to question your worth. Because so immeasurable is your worth that he sent his son to die for you. That you don't have to worry about your future. Because he's promised you a future. That you don't have to worry about never being heard. Because not only are you heard... Jesus Christ sits at the right hand of the Father and intercedes for you. And you no longer have to be powerless because he sent the Holy Spirit to empower you. So great is his love. So through Christ and his work on the cross, you're never alone. And oh, my dear friends, there's at least three of you here that are saying you have no idea what you're saying and what the Holy Spirit wants you to know is that he does know and that you are never, ever alone, ever. He does not turn his back on you. That you are not condemned that you are convicted, but you are not condemned. Condemnation has no hope. Conviction has a great hope. So this week, in the midst of all this stuff that we get to do this week,
Rest in Him. Know that you're loved because of Him. And know that you have a hope and a future through Him. Amen? Amen. Why don't we stand?